This is the 966 episode 110, November 2nd, November 3rd, by the time you're hearing this. That's true. Hello. 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 Hello from the past. You're in the past right now? Well, when they hear this, it will be from the past. Oh, yes. Hello from the past to the future. (laughs) (laughs) The 966 is everywhere. We are everywhere. We're in the past, we're in the future. We're just not in the present. Wherever you're hearing us, it's not happening right now. This is not live. <laughs> um, we do have a really awesome show coming up for our 110th. Maria Medvedeva from MasterCard is joining us shortly. She is vice president of Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and a really fun, insightful person to speak with. It's great. Uh, she was fantastic. And also, it, it reaffirms the 960s is a great platform uh for many things information you know uh education learning entertainment that sort of thing but it's a great place for branding and i say that because every you know c-suite executive we've had on that talked about their corporation you got a f- more full understanding not only you know how they branded themselves but how they fit into 20 vision 2030 so and and you know this is a great example of a u.s corporate which we love MasterCard, which most people perceive as an old mine, you know, financial company, but it's that's not how they see themselves. That's not how they position themselves. Uh, that's not the direction they want to head. And uh, Maria just crushes it in terms of talking about, you know, the new MasterCard in Saudi Arabia. So I, it, it was a lot of fun. One of the things you notice in Saudi Arabia is how quickly Saudi Arabia has embraced fintech and then payment solutions that are non-cash that they're they seem to be more cashless than we are here everyone's using the payment via their phones versus cards so she's in a really hot space right now she moved there from dubai just it's a great conversation and it's really cool what they're doing so um, it is loved it loved it this feedback via linkedin from sf uh, i have my own company focused on helping leaders improve their sales and customer facing skills i'm trying to focus on the saudi market just wanted to say thank you for the 966 podcast keep up the amazing work amazing work you hear that richard this is not, not bad i like thank I like you to start very with, much thank you yes thank you that is that is more than my fair share of psychic income for today very <laughs> nice i you know it's funny though you do get the negative feedback every now and then and it's really interesting I don't know what gets the juices going more, the positive or the negative, but it's all good. If we'll take it, we'll take it all. We love hearing from you guys. And thank <laughs> yes. you for the, the comment. All right. Off to a very smooth start here, Richard. We think. It's a blast. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Let's get to your one big thing. <laughs> um, so, Lucian, did you know that in Saudi Arabia and significant other parts of the Muslim world, including parts of East Asia and Eastern Europe that were under the Ottoman, uh, Ottoman Empire, used what is called or was called a sunset timing system. Since you always get quizzed on these, you know, it's like, a, did you know? Yeah, it's supposed um, to be your one big thing, not quiz. Yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, the reason I, I, when this, I like this because I actually wanted to ask uh, uh, Prince Turkey Al-Faisal when he was on the show, about his father, King Faisal, and we'll come to that. So anyway, so this sunset timing system meant that at, it would mean that every day at sunset, every day at sunset, official clocks would strike 12, and that time would be the start of a new day. So whenever people heard the call for the sunset prayer in Saudi Arabia and elsewhere and you know, in Muslim communities, people would immediately set their watches at 12, whatever time the sunset was. 
All right. So this is fascinating in and of itself. But imagine if you were a foreigner, for example, trying to do business in Jeddah. And you're, you're, let's say you're in shipping or logistics or anything that has to do with a schedule. I mean, you really, it makes it extremely difficult because it, you know, even getting a reliable time for a meeting in two weeks would be a challenge. So, um, so this was the, the, the habit of the day and how people kept time. And it wasn't until 1964 that King Faisal decreed that the kingdom would move to universal timing, the timing we know of today, 24 hours. Um, not set by any kind of sunset or anything like that. And so, and, and, you know, of course there was, you know, there was pushback, uh, but, you know, he basically said, look, Saudi radio, you're the first governmental body, you go out and, you know, you put this in practice and everything on your schedule is going to be universal timing. And eventually, you know, it became accepted practice, um, which obviously made business in Saudi Arabia, doing business in Saudi Arabia a lot easier if you're you know, even a local firm, but also a foreign firm. So roughly 50 years later, in 2013, for the same reasoning, Saudi Arabia changed its weekend from Thursday and Friday to Friday and Saturday, so it could better align with global schedules. Again, primarily to facilitate business. All right, so purpose of that background is it brings us to this week when the Saudi cabinet approved just on Sunday, the use of the Gregorian calendar for all official dealings. We have done a segment on the show of the Hijri calendar and how it's difficult to balance that, especially if you're a Muslim. But in the kingdom traditionally has prioritized the Hijri calendar over the Gregorian. Gregorian was a secondary measure, um, you know, for official and, and political and governmental, you know, things. So um, in response, Dr. Osama al-Obeidi, which is a professor of law at the Institute of Public Administration in Riyadh, said the decision was a good move for business. Quote, the Saudi Council of Ministers to decision to adopt the Gregorian calendar in all official dealings, procedures, regulations, and transactions is a welcome move since all other countries use this calendar and all their laws, transactions, and procedures. He goes on, the move would, quote, make it easier for foreigners visiting Saudi Arabia doing business in the kingdom and give them uh, the ability to rely on one single calendar, not two, as was the case before, which caused a level of confusion and discrepancy. Also, Saudis, he continues, will have it easier now when dealing with foreign partners, unquote. So um, this is a shorty. I chose this one big thing for a couple of reasons. First, uh, this step, latest step is consistent with efforts to smooth the way for increased business. I mean, uh, you know, trying to make it easier for companies to come to Saudi and to succeed in Saudi second. And, you know, they seem like obvious, even small things, you know, uh, but they really aren't, you know, ending the sunset timing system is 64, a tradition going back generations, changes to Thursday, Friday weekend in 2013. Um, or switching this Hijri calendar to a Gregorian calendar, they all represent change and they all represent adjustment on the part of the Saudis and Saudi Arabia. And in terms of business and investment, it's a good change. Uh, so I wanted to do one big thing on sort of try and string together a pattern over, over now, you know, in, you know, decades of trying to smooth out obstacles, trying to eliminate challenges to just coming to Saudi and do it and doing business successfully. So kudos to the Council of Ministers for making this decision. 
trying to do that and trying to do it in a patient strategic way and not just all at once that you know throwing things into confusion doing it on a with a good tempo so that things can adjust accordingly i didn't uh hear you say it and i just may have missed it um but this is everything except islamic sharia uh, laws right okay yeah yeah, i just wanted to make sure yeah so so uh court rulings that are done with islamic sharia will be done in the history still but yeah i mean richard that is a good one and every quote in this arab news article about this change is from somebody in you know financial sector yeah uh, banking sector saying this is a good move (laughs) we (laughs) we we like this is it will make it easier for us to do business with foreign partners and vice versa so and, and I, you, I don't have a ton big response. I just think that's really good. Yeah, you make a you, you know you make a good point too. Uh, uh, everything they're trying to do, they're trying to make sure it doesn't destabilize, make sure it's authentic, organic. You know, the change to the to the the changed weekend that came in 2013 was debated for a long time. And, and, and the Bahrain and the UAE had all all done it. Saudi Arabia, you know, sort of typically was a little more cautious, a little more you know moved a little more. Uh, uh, you know, just a little more cautiously, and 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 it came, but um, they, things move a lot faster now. But yes, they try and do all this without too much disruption, with trying to telegraph a little bit what they're doing. Um, but it sure makes it's going to be helpful. Going to be helpful. Can you imagine trying to do business and night, you know, by the sunset timing system? I mean, and of course, it'd be, it'd be like it'd be like you know, if you're communicating with, say, let's say you have a logistics partner in the port of Jeddah. It's by mail or telegraph or, or or whatever. So there's a there's a, a delay. There's a float time. So if you're going to be, I'm coming. I'm going to be on the Red Sea in Jeddah in three weeks. Let's meet at such a well. How do you what? There's no common time. <laughs> how do you how do you coordinate that at all? Yeah, I mean, yeah. My, so my, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, so efficiency is shot. Yeah, my, my preference is just for us to choose one for all humans and we all just use the same one, whatever it is, even if it's the the sun, the day beginning of the sunset thing, that's fine. But we have to be on the same page. Um, so, you, so, so, you, so you're good with the metric system? I am good with the metric system. I yeah. think it, it stinks that the United States is just purposefully stubborn about this and will not change. And I don't understand that. I don't understand daylight savings time either, but if we're all doing it, we're doing it. We're in it together. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get, we're going to get, well, actually we fall back this weekend. So at least we get the, we get the upside of daylight savings time, which is, you know, kind of weird in and of itself. Yeah. So it, it's, it gets darker all of a sudden, right? That that's the fallback. Yeah. Well, and by that time, November, early November, it's already dark in the morning. I wake up, you know, wake up at seven. You probably wake up earlier with the kids. So I'm, you know, I'm at, and it's dark. So, so now it just means it's going to be dark longer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, really strange. And Saudi Arabia isn't, uh, to be clear, fully on the weekend schedule of the West. They still have Friday, Saturday as their weekend days. There right. is talk of making it Saturday and Sunday to align. Maybe that's next. Maybe not. Who knows? But if they were to do that in a year or a few months or a few years, then it would fat- follow the pattern that we were just talking about, where you're doing things patiently so that you roll them out well. And these changes don't happen all at once. So yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> very cool. So this is this is definitely one of those stories that is enormously impactful for business business relations and investment (laughs) that just probably didn't make the you know top level front page but it it is huge yeah yep richard my one big thing this week we've got some news and updates on the plans for a new resort at neom that looks pretty excellent 
<laughs> Leja, which was announced on October 15th, 2023, joins Trojina, of course, and Sindala as resort vacation focused destinations at Neom. And so now we have Leja. So you sort of have the ski surf, um, sorry, the ski, which is going to be Trojina. And then you have the surf yachting golf beach, which is Sindala. And now oh, we have Leja, which appears to be uh, sort of mountain adventure focused. Uh, they say st steeped in history and mythology. Leja is a magnificent natural valley carved between 400 meter high mountains. Here, guests will discover three stunning luxury high-end boutique hotels nestled within the upper reaches of the valley. Yeah, there's a lot that's intriguing about this offering. Going through it really quickly, so I just mentioned the three hotels, the Oasis Hotel, the Adventure Hotel, and the Wellness Hotel, the three hotels that they will be building there, each with 40 rooms, I believe. Those simple names belie the renderings for the final product for these three places that you can see online. Their designs are futuristic and evocative, strange almost to see, but intriguing. I mean, it, you have to check it out for yourself. And that, I think, is pred predictable to match sort of the rest of what's going on at Neom. And I didn't see these images when they came out a few weeks ago. But if you haven't done so, check it out. Actually, go to... Uh, and this is my one big thing, go to Hobbitas's website because Hobbitas was named this week, a few days ago, as the manager of the these three hotels as part of this resort. Since Hobbitas is doing it, it is likely to have a very similar vibe as their work in Al-Ola and they have other resorts around the world. And just getting right into the details about these three hotels, I think we learned this week, the Oasis Hotel, Adventure Hotel, Wellness Hotel. And again, check these out because they're three very different looking buildings built into this looks like a canyon and it's out, it looks like a, you know, like a futuristic, I don't know how to describe it. You just have to see it. The Oasis Hotel is, uh, looks sort of like a mask, <laughs> like a big oh, mask. Good luck with this. You know what? I'm not going to describe <laughs> it. Just, uh, they all look amazing. There's the Oasis, which looks sort of like it's built into the rock face. All three, I guess, are. And now I realize I'm completely out of my depth trying to describe what they're building. But the announcement that Habitas will be running these resorts is really interesting because I think we now know a lot about what they will be offering. The resorts will be the type of experience that Habitas can offer, but you can still go and hike around them for a you know half day hike, I think is what they're doing because the architecture should be, according to these designs, something to behold. Uh, with Habitas running this project, we learn a lot about what we can expect when these are finished. Unique, expensive, memorable experience, highly curated vibe by the company and the staff, and possibly with architecture, as I just said, that you have to see in real life. And if you've created something that people feel like they have to see in their lifetimes, you're sort of doing the right thing when it comes to developing a tourism destination and as far as future revenue goes, because those are the types of things that you ask other people, hey, have you been to Al-Ala? It's unlike anything I've ever seen. You got to check it out, etc. I think when taking a look at now Neom broadly, we might be at the point where we have a full or near full picture of the resorts and that piece of it. So Neom will also have Oxagon and the line, of course, but we now have three resorts that will be at Neom that you know, will offer different experiences from each other to the point where you might be able to get some beach atmosphere at Sindala in the morning and ski later in the afternoon at Trojina. This might be the complete trifecta of resort offerings. I have no idea, but that's an excellent baseline for the entire Neom region.
Of course, these will also make it attractive for those who are living at Neom and might sway those who are considering a move to Neom in the future. And yeah, I mean, the news that Habitas will be running these uh, resorts is really quite something. Um, yeah, they they have a really great tagline, Habitas does, luxury for the soul. <laughs> it really is befitting. It's high end, super expensive, but also eco and soul conscious. And the habit, you know, for example, the Habitas El Ola is just wild and unforgettable. One of the more memorable things I've seen and experienced. And I think that if you have that in Neom, Habitas Neom, which is kind of rolls rolls off the tongue when you think about what they could do there. Pretty cool. Uh, can't wait to see this. There is um, a cool YouTube video. What is Leja? That takes you sort of in through the opening of the canyon off the Red Sea, and then through, um, you know, to the three proposed properties, and it's. Um, it's astounding and it's it's gorgeous and it's you know it's exactly why first of all these are these are due 2028 so this is what they're that's what their their target date is and, and as we've talked about they may or may not make it but that's what they're expect they're hoping to get to um we remember our section the, the segment we did on uh the neom architecture and you know why if you were in the business why it would be so exciting so fascinating to be part of this i mean these things are huge swings so these are amazing designs into into rock faces and and uh you know I, I imagine that they're the type of thing that are architecturally you probably have to use things that aren't even created yet or uh, you're using materials and and design that is cutting edge um just amazing stuff and what fun to be part of it and actually the other thing is there's there's three of them and they're all different you know one is glassy kind of mariah like but the others the other is like a you know rock outcropping and another is like a step built into the into a mountain um again if i were an architect you know and you know and, and you know having an opportunity to sort of let my my uh my mind and imagination fly what an opportunity it's really cool and that they are different is really cool and the the one that you described as the steps i think that's the adventure one that looked to me like a slinky on the side of the mountain but with a perfectly yeah. even rungs kind of but it did now that you said step i can't unsee step that's so cool i'm sending you the link okay to that we can put it in the um yeah pretty very cool very cool and yeah. so exciting yeah if just uh, yeah if you're listening to this you know, now check out hobbytoss.com go to hobbytoss.com and then go to like search for saudi arabia those are up there now and all this is going to be there i don't i don't know if we can include the full video because google might be like hey <laughs> you can't use this but you know what this implores our massive hordes of listeners and viewers to flood hobbytoss's website yeah. and give them all and, of the and, visits and, <laughs> yeah yeah and if you it, on youtube it's just what is leja l-e-y-j-a mm -hmm. um anyway extremely cool lots of fun i know you love this architecture stuff i love this architecture stuff too and it's going to be fun over time to see what where it all ends up and how it all shakes out and you know what would be really fun is if we can get to go there <laughs> yes <know? laughs> yes i think we'll make it 
What's also on brand is just Neom has had a very consistent, like it doesn't seem not like, it just seems really it very together the, the you know, the website has links to all, it's just, it's really like very organized. It doesn't seem like they're just kind of making things up as they're going along. And so it just, yeah, I think it would be sweet to go, especially when everything is done and we can play some golf on yeah. some little island, which I can only imagine being <laughs> exceptional. <laughs> anyway. So, send, so when it's all completed, and this is all just right now, no, some of it is much more in pie in the sky, but it's more, you know, it's projected. So when it's all completed, you know, you have Leja, you have Trojina, you have Sindala, you have uh, Red Sea, Amala, you're going to have things down in Abha and, and all this sort of thing. Where, and of course, there's Alula, which is insane. We've both been there. You, yours was more luxe than mine. But interestingly, I, you know, the geography there is probably not as vertical and as high as it is in, in Neom where Leisure is, but it's still a sort of the wadis and valleys and that sort of thing. You can see uh, see how fascinating it would be to build in there. But um, would Cindela be your first choice? Uh, I think so. That's the farthest along, right? That's that's closer to being complete, uh, yeah, completed. That, that second not... to probably the second, probably the red, some of the Red Sea, a couple of oh, red, sure. like three Red Seas will open up later this year or they're scheduled to. But those are not affiliated with Neom. Those are separate. Like Correct. that's a Red Sea development, yeah, or Red Sea Global, I should say. Right. Now. Yeah. Yeah. No. So now you know. Anyway, I mean, it, it, it's going to be all right. So here's the second part of that conversation, where we couldn't really choose. Uh, you're leaning to Sindala, but <laughs> take a step back and listen to this conversation. Not not a possibility, not a notion, not a whisper. Five years ago that these were options to go see and stay in Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> that's, and that's the beauty of the 966 is we're right on time. You know, we're right at the heart of all this, you know, lack of a better word, I won't say it, stuff going on. And, and so we just rattled off these, you know, four, five, six amazing destinations. And that's not even the half of it. Again, none of them existed five years ago. So in that way, we are in the present. So we're also in the future and in the past, and we're also in the present. We are right where the rubber meets the road with this. And you're right. It is absolutely amazing. And when Neom was announced, you could maybe imagine some of the potential because there were images and videos shown of the general area. And there was, you know, at the time, and you could see these online, there's nothing like literally no development at all. But you had some basic stats about average temperatures and the color of the water, and you can let your imagination go from there. And you're right, five years later, six years later, here we are saying, you know, are we going to choose between the golf boating yacht club, or is it going to be the ski destination, or they're going to have the 2029 Asian Games, or is it, yeah, exactly. Or the, like, or the wellness, or the desert, you know, activity thing, or the, you know, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's, you know, good on you, Saudi. Way to keep doing the work moving forward. Awesome. And, you know, we, we can also confirm that you know, past, present, or future in either realm, we're annoying in all of them. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Yes. You're hearing us in every dimension. <laughs> it's irritating. You cannot unhear this. <laughs> um, on that note, <laughs> let's get to our really excellent conversation with Maria Medvedeva from MasterCard. Just really cool what they're doing and, and really fun to speak with her. She crushes it. Mm -hmm. Enjoy.
We are speaking now with Maria Medvedeva, Vice President of Saudi Arabia and Bahrain for MasterCard, responsible for executing MasterCard's growth strategy and delivering innovative payment experiences for consumers and merchants for MasterCard in line with the Kingdom's Vision 2030. Maria, hello. Thank you for joining us on the 966. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's my honor to be here with you and uh, to share my experiences of being in Saudi with your esteemed audience. Well, we're delighted you're with us, Sheikha Maria. Um, and we, we got a chance to visit with you beforehand. And let's just jump right into this. You you have been with MasterCard for a number of years, but you just came over to Saudi three years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about all that? And and I know because I know all that is a lot of things. I know you've been very active and it's an exciting time to be in, in, in Saudi Arabia. It is exciting time. It is exciting time. Beyond that, I... Um, I represent Saudi with pride because for the past three years, the evolution of Saudi as from a cultural standpoint, from the business standpoint, from the payments and immersive payment experiences, it has been just enormous. We've seen digitization rates um, going and soaring from being, let's say, in, in 12 and, and 15% in 2019 to almost reaching 62% current year and beyond that expectation is to reach 70 by 2030 we will be in 70 in the next two years so our goals and the change of the goals of the country have evolved even further now we have vision 2040 2050 um, as the from every standpoint i can tell you one story when i came here and that's the reason why we we call we call me sheikha maria is that the ambassador of Saudi and on behalf of the central bank of Saudi and is is myself. I actually see myself an individual who understands the regulations, who understands the payment ecosystem, who looks at the consumer experiences and looks at how do we evolve from consumer experiences. But beyond that, I am a mom, I have two children, we moved uh, with the family uh, and then a horse and then a dog. We moved uh, from uh, Dubai <laughs> uh, locally here. We um, now been three years living in Saudi Arabia. My kids go to school. We look at local cultures, at, at traditions. We visit museums. I think every visitor which has come to Saudi from my corporate office has been with me to either history museum or a cultural museum. And I do it on purpose. I want them to understand the change, the evolution first, and what is required locally. I don't believe in application of global principles across all. I believe that the Saudi is very unique in its uh, ability to progress and to evolve faster than other countries. Uh, it is seen from the recent IMF reports. It's seen from non-oil economy growth rates uh, of being one of the top countries in G20 in terms of the growth. So the approach we have to take here as a company is also very different. We have to be more agile. We have to be more creative. We have to look at all the new experiences that could potentially elevate Saudi even further. Um, let me let me maybe uh, uh, talk about moving to Saudi first, Richard. Right? Like, because yeah, I think we'd love to hear that. We've talked to, we've talked about that, and and a lot of people. I, I get uh, a lot of questions on my LinkedIn asking, how did you decide to move? In 2020, it was pandemic. Uh, it wasn't really, the vision was there. The vision realization offices were working, but implementation was still slow. In the first year I moved to Saudi, 
I remember there was an announcement that they opened 256 movie theaters. So you just, you can imagine like within a year, the situation has changed. We, you know, women were very allowed to drive. Uh, we have uh, uh, movie theaters opening. Uh, we had cultural concerts, the history museums. Um, we have a very strong horse riding team. I'm a horse rider. We have a quite strong football teams, which have been elevated by the recent uh, players that have come in. So uh, it's it's the evolution of the country was such that nobody could imagine me moving here with the children, the dog, and the and the horse as a place where you want to stay a long time. But now to try to take me back to any other country is much more challenging because I actually believe this is a real economy. There is a huge opportunity. And it's it's uh, now I look at how to, let's say, um, improve and w- what else can we do to drive financial inclusion in this country? What else can we do to give consumers an understanding how um, of innovative solutions, uh, data-driven solutions, AI-driven solutions. So it's an exciting time to be here. Well, it's it's amazing your timing with the pandemic, not only personally, and I guess we should all, I mean, the most important question really is, where do you stable your horse? <laughs> <laughs> I, and can you imagine can I, that I start riding, my daughter is jumping, we are part of competitions. I, I really feel very blessed to have very strong people around us. It's also a great networking environment because Saudis are very welcoming. And it's, it's, it's a warm and welcoming nation, but it's so diverse and unique. In my team alone, I can tell you I have maybe eight types of Saudi from inter-countries, inter-regions, inter-tribes. They're all different. The motivation, the, the ability to, to change their or to, the ability to navigate their minds is extremely challenging because every one of them is like an individual with its own individual culture. Um, the you know certain people from Jeddah would focus on the breakfast meetings. People from Riyadh focuses on dinner and after dinner meetings. And business is done during this meeting, so it's very culturally diverse. And we have to recognize that that this nation requires a different approach toward different people. Well, it's let's talk about uh, Mastercard because you arrived at a fascinating time, and you mentioned inclusion. Because during that pandemic, a lot of what MasterCard is, is involved with now in Saudi Arabia, and I want you to elaborate on that, um, exploded. Uh, digitization, you know, point of sales, fintech, people using, I mean, it, it was almost like they, 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 they gained two generations in two years in terms of moving along that timeline and, that, and progressing uh, adoption rates. It really was an extraordinary period. And you arrived right at that time, you know, working with MasterCard in this space. Can you tell us a little bit about, you, you know, what how MasterCard is positioning itself and what's it's chosen to be really involved with? Richard, um, now that you brought up uh, some of this evolution across post devices, SMEs, we've reached 1.2 million SMEs in the country. I was talking to Monshat Senior Leadership. Monshat is our center for or ministry for small and medium businesses. 1.2 million SMEs, over 70 fintechs, and half of them are licensed by central bank. We have 1.6 million devices currently. And frankly, you can even see on the street the sellers of the fruits having the POS machines. So the acceptance rates here are quite strong. 
in terms of acceptance across the market, both debit and credit. So to give a very strong um, credit to the high hard work done by Saudi Payments, by Sama, they really have fair-headed the efforts to digitize the country. Not only digitization on the card, but also digitization in terms of account-to-account. We have a very strong account-to-account system. Digitization in terms of fintech, we have a strong um, the, the P2P, uh, which is um, fintech or digital neobank, SCC Pay, that allows for P2P transactions. So the ecosystem here is, is quite developed in terms of the digitization as of 2023. Um, when I came here as a MasterCard, and overall MasterCard has evolved over years. You know, when, um, when you look at MasterCard and you look at the previous and how we previously positioned ourselves, and how we are evolving as a as a brand. If someone asks me now where I work, I tell them I work for a fintech. So if I do not want to mention uh, Mastercard, I say I work for a fintech. Then I elaborate that this is actually a financial payments fintech that innovates continuously and has a focus on financial inclusion. And beyond that, what Mastercard does and why it attracted me. Why I've been, uh, I was a director of IT previously. I was part of IT. I'm a computer science. <laughs> I'm a finance. Then I moved into turnarounds in finance, and then I moved to Mastercard. What attracted me to Mastercard? It's it's innovation, and it's not innovation in terms of just introducing new solutions without actual foundation. But it's a data-driven solutions, AI-based data-driven, so the decisions in terms of introduction of something new to a market is not uh, done without careful consideration from every standpoint in terms of the data points. When we consult our partners, we look at what is this from profitability standpoint? What is it from scalability standpoint? We look at all the different aspects of helping our partner banks to drive their businesses because their business is our business. And we take it very personal. To give you an, an understanding further, we looked uh, in the past three years, we've done massive, massive expansion in Saudi. One of the key expansion areas is our multi-million dollar investment into a local data center, both in Riyadh and in Damam. And implementation of our technology, one of our key e-commerce technologies here in Saudi Arabia to be positioned as a regional technology hub in the long term. So Saudi Arabia uh, has become so, uh, so interesting for us because now we have a hub for all key technologies here that allows for better availability, better um, ability to change, to be more agile, because e-commerce and the technology is changing. And to be more agile, bringing the technology into the local centers, it's what makes the company exceed and and be more locally relevant. Um, Well, you know, you are also, and correct me if I'm wrong, you are also chairwoman of the MasterCard Arabia for information technology, which is, which is a, is that's a, this new it's a technology exactly. company headquarters. So the separate, Correct. so that's this is as you say, your background is IT, and you're chairwoman of is is what what's the purview of this this technology company? So the, the, this technology company specifically said to bring the uh, key technologies on soil into Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has implemented the privacy law. 
and we are now fulfilling our obligation toward the Saudi. But beyond that, it's not even about regulatory environment where you must come on soil to operate some of your technologies. It's more about our commitment to the country and commitment to grow the business in this country. Because by bringing this technology on soil into Saudi, again, we allow for better resilience, better availability, because there is no dependency on the routes to other countries. And of course, on more agility in terms of changes. When we want to implement a new change, traditionally you need to go to a corporate and then get this information. Now, locally managed assets have a, a better agility uh, embedded into that. So it, it's an exciting, uh, uh, let's say, partnership. We're working with local partners. We are committed to the country. We believe that this is just foundation. We may add on new technologies as the time progress. So it's going to be just the foundation. Um, but it's important to establish foundation. It has taken us over a year and a half to come into this stage. And by next year, we will be officially announcing um, this this opening of the center together with SAMA, uh, together with the, with the uh, appropriate ministries um, to, to really showcase our commitment to the country. You, you referenced your commitment, MasterCard's commitment to the country. Can you talk a little bit, we were discussing it before we started recording, uh, talk a little bit about the makeup of your office and the growth of the MasterCard sort of workforce there in Saudi since yes. you, you arrived? Uh, Richard, that's my favorite topic because whenever I, I tell anyone, and even our CEO, when he went into management committee and board levels and he asked, what do you think is percentage of female penetration in Saudi, team diversity. So Lucien, let's ask you, what do you think in Saudi is percentage of female in our local office in MasterCard? If I had to guess, I would say maybe 30%. Let, Richard, let's let's do uh, let's let's ask you as well. So, well, and, what do you and, think but, is? But that's a great guess because overall in the economy, it's now about 36 percent right. in, in the general number. In and, the general and, number, uh, yes. So, so we, I mean, that's a that's, that's a, a good guess. Are you are you seconding my guess, Richard? You, you can pile on now. Well, that's I think cool. I think me. it's a guess. It's a guess founded in very good data. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it it's a, it's a it's a legitimate guess. Uh, so, yes. Gas. <laughs> so yes, so we are at about 45% currently. Ah, nice. With a very strong driven Saudi females. So we have, uh, uh, when, when usually people uh, ask this question, uh, rarely at the board levels in US or in UK or in European world, they see uh, female in these positions of power. But you're right, we are 35% overall penetration. Beyond that, our team seniority has extremely senior female leaders um, in, in MasterCard. It is not this... the same in the payments industry. It's not. I can tell you that uh, there are areas of improvement, and we are working with um, GCC board organization, and we are working with the uh, capital market authorities to look into not setting the quotes for female at board levels, but looking at how can we introduce a database of smart, educated, certified female to be available for the board and for the C-level positions. So even those type, type of steps are being taken, uh, Lucien. So thank you for your for your guess. It was a very good guess. <laughs> Normally people say 10%, so you, you're way above average. People I'm, tell I'm me just 10%. glad I was below the real answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It was a good effort. 
Um, so, Maria, it's interesting, and, and your 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 point of emphasis reflects your understanding of the environment. We've had uh, Dana Alajlani on the show, which you may know Dana. She's co-chairman woman of the Women in Business Committee for the uh, uh, AmJam KSA. She's terrific, and she was terrific on the show. But she talked about exactly that. She said, "All right, we're getting into we're getting penetration. We're getting women into the workforce, but that management level." to the C-suite has a big gap Absolutely. in it. Absolutely. And so you you put your finger right on that and, and trying to differentiate MasterCard and saying, yeah, we have women in this space. Uh, Richard, it's, it's, it's the massive, massive issue that we have here as well. So you, you have um, very young, educated, uh, younger female and male coming into the workforce, but the gap, the gap between the C-suite and, the, and and this entering workforce bright um, individuals is is too long, too large. So we are working as Mastercard and also as an individual. I actually believe in female diversity. I think different perspectives bring a different understanding to the business. We we see um, let's say the ownership level and. You know, we, we see business as our babies <laughs> in some ways. I mean, all females see business and their babies. So we try to give the best to a child to grow, to raise the child. So when the client comes, I don't see them as a client. I see them as a, as a child that require nurturing, um, let's say, financial support, uh, then, then some type of innovation to grow, guidance to grow. So we as female have this ability to guide right, to be guidance. Uh, and I'm sure that, that uh, many smart men empower us to do so. So I can tell you that <laughs> many of my bosses are just absolutely brilliant to empower us to do it. But at the end of the day, I think, you see, female uh, leadership leadership requires a lot of investment by a country in terms of training, certification, um, as, as I mentioned before. We have a couple of organizations here which are specifically focused on it. One of them is called uh, GCC Board. It's the organization which is GCC based out of UAE and Saudi, driving uh, specifically board memberships. I'm a member of the GCC Board organization. And as a part of that membership, we're developing strategies how to uh, create more certified female for the Saudi market and how to provide those databases of certified female to the banks, to the other institutions, to increase their diversity on the board levels. Now, is this separate from you're you're also part of a top thirty women network in in Maya. that's right. Is that, that that's correct. It's, it's different. It's, it's a different organizations with exactly the same goal. Yes, it's a quite different. So GCC board drives. Uh, the, the certified board members. The top 30 female uh, also looks at senior C-suite membership, but uh, as a part of top 30 organization, what we do, we uh, highlight the, the magnitudes of the problem. We don't necessarily take steps to correct it. We highlight that magnitudes. We partner uh, with different organizations to highlight the, the need for such, uh, let's say, for such diversity. Um, and the indexes that are, let's say, female-owned businesses, female-driven businesses, um, the board members, female board members, then we present these findings to our capital, capital market authority and other senior management teams. After we present the findings, the organizations like GCC board take steps to actually find and, and train 
and provide training courses for the female. So I'm I'm blessed to be part of of the entire process, the influence, the lobbying process, and the process of actually execution that needs to take place. Um, I'm loving this, and but now we're going to do a rapid fire section here. <laughs> you said you just came from a, a presentation, and you, by the way, you've been a speaker <laughs> panelist for for Seamless AI Summit Leap. I mean, so you're involved in all these major summits that are ongoing in Saudi Arabia. So and so, kudos to you. Uh, but I, I sort of want to make sure we touch base on because I love this in terms of your your personal perspective on the value of of your position and what you're trying to do in Saudi Arabia and why it matters in Saudi Arabia. This this is this is gold. Um, but let's talk about rapid fire. Let's talk about Mastercard, and let's talk about SMEs, and let's talk about e-gaming, and let's talk about fintech. What All right, let's happened? let's start with the e-gaming. All right, let's start <laughs> with e-gaming. Topic. Let's yeah, start I, with. <laughs> but how how Mastercard is you know in the in the market? Absolutely, I, it, it's a, it's my favorite topic. You've heard the uh, recent interview of uh, of our prince. During which he said that most of the time he spends, uh, you know, free time in gaming. I have my son who is into this. So one of the key points why I wanted this agreement with the Esports Federation, which was a massive agreement, it gave us uh, uh, exclusive rights to gamers' aid participation and many key events with the Esports Federation. And thanks to Esports Federation, they are truly created a new segment of business, esports business, right? We we don't have a sports federation across the world. We have sports federations. This new segment, which has, let's say, I think it was at the time we were working with them, we had 28 million users, but now it's reaching to 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 multi, I mean to way beyond 100 million. You know, it, it's a very interesting segment because when you look at this, when MasterCard start looking at the segment, seeing what's the average spend? The average spend of a segment is let's say $350 per month. What is the percentage of female versus male gamers? 47% are female gamers. They're right. It's it's usually uh, 1.4 billion impressions during any single gamers eight match. So Mm. if you can imagine the magnitude of that um, position that you have, the e-gaming of sport here, uh, MasterCard wanted to to let's say evolve itself to look at the passion points of our consumers. We have identified where gaming, football, tennis, were all passion points. And to drive, and the economy has changed. You know, the economy before was really consumer oriented in terms of retail. People went and bought things, okay, without really um, looking at, at experience or what they were getting, we just were buying things. But currently consumers, as they post-COVID, specifically post-COVID, are now looking at enhanced experiences in their passion categories. So we call it an experience economy. So in in our uh, MasterCard Economic Institute, and we we give our uh, economic analysis and forecasts on a quarterly basis to Saudi customers, we call it that evolution to experience economy. And beyond that, as MasterCard we believe in an immersive economy. So that means that even beyond just normal experience, now you have to look into metaverse, into meta-related aspects, because sooner or later, our kids uh, and us will actually have that experience, not only in a physical world, but in a digital world as well. So it's going to become digital. (laughs) 
Have you heard this word fidgetal before? I'm sure you have. <laughs> and metaverse, absolutely. It's it's fascinating to hear the the lingo. And I say it's not a lingo, but every every uh, entity has a vocabulary. But you know, passion points and experience economy. Uh, and it is interesting to how how Mastercard is positioning itself in this regard. Uh, absolutely, I think that this is where exactly what we are looking at. Even our brand. If you imagine us 15 years back, the brand had was a standalone brand with no special features, no special feelings. Then uh, our uh, Raja, our CMO, and I was very blessed to host him twice in Saudi, has actually looked into evolution of the brand to look at all of the points of you know customer interaction, the the smell, the face, you know the the feeling, the smells, the the hearing. So now we have a Mastercard song, and every mm. culture, every culture has their own songs. We have actually Arabic song with Arabic undertones. We have a song which is MasterCard for Indian undertones. It's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing uh, experience to hear um, an acceptance sound. We call it acceptance sound of MasterCard and you pay in different countries because you have these different undertones. Uh, have you noticed it, Lucien? Have you ever paid and you've heard this sound? Like a little jingle, okay. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. a little jingle, correct. Yeah. So behind the jingle, there is a whole new experience of uh, of actually a music behind that. You take next step. We have priceless restaurants. Richard, have you ever been to our priceless restaurant? I, I, I have in, not. So but in, he in wants a, to go, we, I can tell you. He wants <laughs> yeah. to go now, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so we, we, we created this priceless platform. And priceless platform is all about giving you experiences. So part of the priceless platform, we have restaurants. We have actually even collaborations with the uh, Ladurie's, um, the you know some of the the cookies that they produce. I mean, the imagination of what the change of the brand, right? We removed the names, so the change of the brand, the appeal to different senses of the human is the same as appealing to their passion point. So appealing to senses is what we've done to transform the brand and put a priceless platform and then appeal to the human um, passion points is what we do locally here to drive. And you will hear and you will see, we are launching uh, a major football Cobra by the end of this month. It's going to come to the market. It will be a joint effort of our, our key banks with a massive football team, with the benefits which would drive that passion of of the uh, you know fans of that football team, with a very very famous uh, player. <laughs> we are uh, <laughs> we are launching an e-gaming card that actually appeals again to the gaming efforts of our kids, the youth, to so the youth card. Uh, so what what we look at specifically, we will launch uh, we are launching certain. Travel cards that again appeal to the travel um, mm. uh, passion of people, and I can I can guarantee you, that not in a single country, the value proposition of these cards are as rich as in Saudi, because we take steps to understanding the market, understanding the consumers, and then embedding those differentiated propositions for these passion points of the consumers. It's, it's so really that's the. <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean, that's your response. It, well, and it, it's again to go back to the beginning. You know, uh, Mastercard's headquartered in Purchase, New York, and its operations are in St. Louis. As I said, there's there's, there's certainly a perception in a lot of places it's kind of an old line firm, but here you guys are anything but old line. Um, 
And it's fascinating how you're tailoring it to Saudi Arabia. You talk about immersive experience and so much about the tourism industry now. It's more young Saudis going, well, we want to go someplace. We really want to experience it. And, you know, it, it, it's more than just a sort of a destination. I'll show up and, and you know, uh, cross that off. They want to go and do things and experience things. Obviously, getting into football, which is uh, a, truly a passion point in Saudi Arabia. Oh, of course. <laughs> and we're all yeah. now, Lucian and I, we've, we've covered a lot of football on this show. So we're all interested. I mean, we're both interested in which which football club you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I cannot disclose now, but no, uh, I understand. I can tell I understand. You, we have 10, 10 million of fans. You'll have to come waiting, back on. Just waiting, <laughs> we waiting had to, try, to meet yeah. you <laughs> and, and, and this will be the massive, you know, I, I we had a very interesting story here uh, when we were selecting we, with each club to partner. Um, our uh, One of our key ministers, Turkey, Al-Sheikh, he's a minister of, uh, uh, of entertainment. And if you're talking about football, he is the one who is behind a lot of this uh, great entertainment of Riyadh season and, and really bringing new concerts and, and really making vibrant society as a part of our society. So he has actually one time on Twitter published a poll of um, donations for key clubs. And he said, here are your clubs and now donations. So now show us who will donate, which club you like the most. And there's only one club that had the highest donations. And we'll be partnering with that club <laughs> with, with the ah. amount of people and uh, the fans that actually supported the club the most. Well, it, can, it could be the oldest club in the country, too. No, it you could know. be. I cannot disclose right now. You can't stop us from trying. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I leave. Uh, I can tell you, I leave with with the with the four or five uh, of football players because you know in Saudi we still live in a lot of uh, kind of community uh, type of livings, and we I have a lot uh, you know daily interactions with a lot of football players, and it's it's a uh, it's brilliant to see. Um, how passionate people are in, in that uh, area. Very passionate. It is. By the way, we I think Turkey Al-Sheikh is not really Minister of Entertainment. We sort of, he's sort of Minister of Everywhere because it seems like he is <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> he does seem to be everywhere. Uh, and uh, you've seen the recent uh, uh, Riyadh season announcements and um, uh, one of our key largest stakeholders, Saudi National Bank, it's our biggest partner in, in the region, um, it's actually investing heavily in Riyadh season. So we will be also introducing some new, let's say, UEFA-based, and this I can share because already we have launched it, but we will be introducing the first in Saudi UEFA card. So really? with that card, the the you know citizens or our our lovers of football can get experiences, priceless experiences, meeting our ambassadors. Mastercard ambassadors, uh, getting jerseys, going on the fields. So as a part of that of that card, which will be let's say promoting during Riyadh season, we will also give ability to uh, to drive more passion. I mean, because that's what I said, you know, Richard. It's all about understanding the people and then touching upon passion points. When I came first for, here first, that's exactly the first thing I published on LinkedIn. I said, you know, I will appeal to to everyone for their passion points. That's my goal in life as a MasterCard, to understand you and to give you what you need. Gaming, football, um, this is what, what drives the passion points. So that is where we are, um, where we made a major bet as a company. We invested resources, we invested money, financials to support in this type of initiatives. 
And it must be exciting. You mentioned the crown prince and his love for esports, e- uh, e- and the announcement of this esports World Cup next year. Is, uh, uh, you know the largest one in the world. Um, and of course, they're already you know Gamers Aid is a big deal, and you, so that that's fascinating. Um, are there any other sectors of the economy? You, you passion points: football, e gaming, that Mastercard is targeting. So. I, the second question, you remember rapid fire, you asked me about fintechs and fintechs is another very interesting area, which is on the high rise on the growth, not only because the goal of Saudi vision 2030 is to onboard 500 fintechs by 2030, but because they bring diversity in terms of the offerings, they bring innovation, they bring agility. Now we've um, been licensed, uh, let's say, two BNPL fintechs, four open banking fintechs. So all of these new innovative solutions, they're coming through the fintechs. And central bank, SAMA and Saudi payments are encouraging fintechs to really bring something new. They have uh, seen a very interesting launch over the weekend of TICMO. Uh, Tikmo is a new super app that is on the internet. I've seen just launch uh, two days back. There was just incredible launch with different offers. It's again, it's it's a super easy to use app. So um, since we don't have entities like Monzo, like Revolu, uh, or like other with smaller uh, money institutions, we had mo- massively been covered by SCC Pay. The new fintechs which are coming in are really differentiating their their applications, um, you know, bring a different experience to consumers. So I'm encouraging Twig, Tecmo, um, JDA. We have massive amount of new fintechs. And an interesting concept in fintechs, which is something that I haven't seen in other countries, is that along with the consumer-based fintechs, we have also a, a series of fintechs which specialize in SME, value-added services, and in, in a corporate value-added services. So some fintechs are focused on being the right hand or co-pilots of CFOs. Mm. So it's not only consumer experience that, that gets improved, but moving now from, let's say, from consumer to SMEs, we have 1.2 million SMEs. Our yeah. corporate flows or, let's say, B2B flows in this market is reaching $300 billion. And even if you decide to digitize a small percentage of those flows, you will have a very strong business case to be present in this market. Okay. Well, and you, and you, I think, sorry, go ahead. I think for fintechs, but adding value both on consumer and on the commercial, it's really now diversifying this experience. Uh, and you do have a lot of partnerships. You mentioned GDA and Saudi National Bank. Simplified uh, finance, yes, yes. FinTech Saudi, yeah. Yes. FinTech um, Saudi, uh, I can I have to give them a credit. They actually have really taken um, a next level of introducing um, local regulations, local uh, um, you know, cultural norms, local uh, rules, to the fintechs who would like to come here from abroad. So uh, we work very closely with Nizar, who is running uh, Fintech Saudi, and he is really active in the community, spearheading the initiative to bring the foreign fintechs into Saudi market as well. So fintechs from UAE, fintechs from UK, and really helping them 
to play in a Sama sandbox and really differentiate themselves. First test in a sandbox, look at your value story, if it's, if it's working, and then bring it to the market. The, the sandbox has seemed to be a really uh, a good environment for incubating. Uh, yes. and, and they've moved through, I, think, I don't know how many have been certified now, in the 50s now, I think. Um, um, yeah, more than that. My recent that. meeting with Nizar, he, he was uh, giving me numbers about 100, which I was very surprised because right. just 2022 report showed 29. And by 2023, October, we have 100 plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's go, let's talk a little bit and about, uh, the, you, you, we talked about, let's return back into sort of the environment in, in MasterCard and her voice, things that you, yes. you, you've involved with. What is, what is the Her Voice program? It's, it's, it's a brilliant program set to empower first female, uh, individual entrepreneurs, female. And then we have taken the next step with Her Voice to elevate to, uh, the platform to be the voice for all the SME, um, female-owned SME businesses. So it started with us just running a podcast, um, you know, with us starting the podcast series for, for some influential uh, local female, including princesses that actually overcame the cultural norms, overcame the family norms, built up their own companies and really became successful in variety of different business segments. So it's, it is not payments related. We had uh, uh, ladies from consulting, medical equipment, uh, ladies who were into travel. So we, we brought together ladies which really were successful across all segments to present their stories. And some stories were just unbelievable, right? You, you understand the story of resilience the right. resilience and the you know ability to overcome all challenges to achieve uh, your objectives. Um, I have a very good friend who uh, Latifa Alvalan. Latifa created the first Saudi Arabic coffee machine. She was inventor on it, um, and she is uh, running or leading endeavor right now. But even hearing the stories of her, how she elevated herself from creating the first Saudi coffee machine, selling this, trying to get a loan, going through difficulties of taking a loan from the family, friends, or from, from the bank, and then making it in this world and being one of the top influential female of, of the Saudi really changes your mind, mindset. Um, and this year, we took this uh, platform and created a more elevated experience of female um, who own massive companies. And they said, let's look at this, not just simply uh, as an individual female contributors, but female owned businesses. Uh, and how can we help those female owned businesses to grow? You know, um, one of the key areas for MasterCard is not only helping SMEs, but actually having a direct implication on economy for the improving lives of female. So, this platform allows us to elevate Saudi female across the market. How much is uh, buy now, pay later on your radar? Is that like a is that a one of your top growth areas that you guys are seeing now? We know it's really hot in the in the Saudi market. Is that are you guys zeroed in on that? It's Lucien, it's, it's a great question because you have um, 
two sides to every story. You have, uh, you know, one side that absolutely uh, dismiss uh, BNPL um, as, as any revenue generating or any value added uh, aspect. And then you have another side which looks at it as a more of an asset building or, or you know, let's say um, more of a auxiliary tool to build certain strategies with your uh, with your um, portfolio of products within the banking sector. So it's two separate organizations. I mean, it's two separate uh, line of thoughts. Um, I see it as both. I see uh, the fact that while potentially it has an implication on uh, the NPLs and, you know, f- and on the profitability, it also brings a different consumer experience and increases mm-hmm. the stickiness from consumer standpoint. We as MasterCard has set up a new platform, which is currently we are implementing in Saudi. It's one of our first platforms, which actually allows pro- for profitability and at the same time for consumer experience. I think that's the right approach to proceed. Uh, I cannot give more details about the platform, but in, in principle, I believe it combines both views. Uh, in Saudi, though, so for you to also be uh, be aware, only two fintechs are allowed to operate BNPL as a functionality. Hmm. The banks are allowed to implement installment solutions, controlling within the DBR rates, but the fintechs are allowed, based on fintech regulations and waiver for to fintech regulations, to issue BNPL. So it's very important for entities to understand that you must be licensed to be a BNPL player in Saudi. There are, I believe, four or five now, but you cannot just introduce BNPL without a license in place. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out right now to Sci-Fi app. Uh, Ahmed Al-Hakbani um, is the CEO. His Excellency, Ahmed, who's uh, head of customs for a while for Saudi Arabia, they have an amazing partnership yeah. with you guys at MasterCard. And I talked Absolutely. with him recently and he was like, they are the best partner in Saudi. You can't imagine how <laughs> lucky we feel for that. So just a quick shout out on that. Thanks, listen. And and the, on, on that, remember the entity I was talking about when I said that co-pilot to CFOs? So that is his app. Oh, you're talking about sci-fi. Okay, cool. I was like, I hope I was talking sci-fi. about yeah. <laughs> this is his app because I, I've seen a lot of different apps and I've seen apps from, from different regions. And uh, uh, I'm very blessed with my current boss, Adam Jones, who comes from commercial experience and who've seen a lot of fintech innovation and shared with me fintech innovations in, in uh, across the globe because he used to run commercial and SME globally. And, and currently he also relocated to Saudi. And sometimes when we unpack all of his different use cases and the share with use cases, is uh, some of the um, entities like sci-fi truly differentiate itself in the market, really truly offer global differentiation. Not even, so we took the best practices, <laughs> we took global best practices and they just enhance on it. And that's, you know, that's the most amazing thing Saudis can do. They take global best practices, they enhance on them and they make their own, let's say, customized rules. You know, and localize a, them, yeah, 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 yeah. And localize them, yes. Yep. Uh, we've talked about this on the show before and, and you know, fourth IR issues and that sort of thing. But the, the sort of inherent advantage sometimes of, of coming to the game late, you don't have legacy systems that you're necessarily having to work through. You can take yeah. with best practices and adapt them going forward. I mean, it's, there are significant advantages. Um, we talked a little bit, uh, Maria, before uh, we started recording about your, your regional HQ situation. It's, it's, it, it's testimony, you know, you bringing your family from Dubai loving Saudi Arabia, loving where you are. 
How is, uh, where's MasterCard in the regional HQ process? Richard, it's a very good question. Uh, we are working very closely with MISA to understand uh, the regulatory aspects, because as you know, the regulation has been out and we're working with the Chamber of Commerce to go uh, in depth into this regulation. Because as, as uh, let's say, as Saudi is now said, we are the headquarters for six countries. Mm -hmm. That's why our senior management, the executive senior management, myself as a country manager, as a chairwoman, our regional manager sits here in Saudi, our solutions and architecture manager sits here. So we are our technology managers, everyone who is the top leadership positions, they sit here in Saudi Arabia. So we have already relocated everyone and they build up the office to almost reaching 100 people. So we consider ourselves to be in some way headquarters. But there are some very specific requirements from a regulator that we need to understand further, to understand the taxation, to understand the implication of uh, headcounts and the resource hiring. And of course, uh, we are fully committed. So we are looking at this uh, more deeply to understand how fast we can reach to the regulatory um, requirements. And, and where are you guys? Like, um, where is your HQ there? Are you guys in... Uh, the financial district in Riyadh? We are not. We are in Hamad Tower. We are okay. in Hamad Tower next to Faisalia. Not yet in in uh, in uh, financial HQ in CAF, but CAF uh, is an interesting project and they have been growing uh, uh, tremendously under the leadership of Gotham Sashital. So I don't know if you know the story, but Gotham comes from DMCC in, uh, in uh, uh, Dubai and he took this variety of experiences and his knowledge of DMCC to implement the best practices. And truly, he also transformed it. Just like we've transformed our presence in the market, uh, the, you know, the, the CAFT, which is King Abdullah Financial District, has also become a dining destination, uh, a destination for the families, they opening the park. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's also the first place I take uh, is, is History Museum. The second, I take it to CAFT, to my <laughs> restaurants. And since I'm a foodie, I'm a foodie. I like food, so well, I, I like a variety of very specific food. So uh, yeah. that that represents for me a great opportunity for a differentiated food offering. We uh, we did an episode with Gautam, and it was he's a dynamo, and uh, we're big fans of Gaft. I mean, it's and it's impressive. We did, I think everyone should move there, and they've done some enormous, really really impressive things. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's an interesting thing. Let me ask you something a little bit about Mastercard. And I guess we're, we're, we're I don't, we don't want to take too much time. Uh, I was curious, and I just saw in the in the culture in Mastercard, you have something called a decency quotient. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> and I thought, what is a decency quotient in, in terms of a corporate culture? What is decency quotient? You see, it comes from a Banga. So our decency quotient is is not even a value. It's just underlying foundation is how you behave yourself, your colleagues. So we have a value system, that, that corporate value system that has been established um, by, by the current CEO, Michael Mibak. But Ajay, he initiated, he brought the foundation of decency. And I, you know, I really, really loved it. This was a new concept when I first joined. I felt so protected as a human being. You know, frankly, when you enter a working environment, a corporate environment, very often you don't feel protected. You feel that you would receive 
different, uh, let's say, negative and positive feedback. And sometimes feedback is noise and it really disrupts you or distracts you from, from achieving your goal. But with decency in mind, and if you are decent to your colleague, then it's much easier to operate. And I felt that this was part of every human being I've worked with in, in, in MasterCard. Just pure decency, that, that we will not stab, we will not talk behind you, we will be open with you, we will give you the guidance, the ability to, to actually meet the objectives. So Ajay, who was here during the FII, Ajay Banga was just here, he is now running uh, the World Bank, we are very proud of it. He, he just met with our summer governor, he met with Minister of, of Planning on sidelines of FII. Ajay has this decency as, as just, you know, it's throughout him. When you listen to his speech, when you listen to his, uh, let's say, world um, uh, understanding, worldviews, you feel it, that it comes from how can we be more distant, more human to, toward each other and toward the world from a climate standpoint, from financial inclusion. He was the one who was driving uh, all of his key initiatives in MasterCard. And we continuously, Michael has taken from him and enhanced it even further. So we don't even carry this quotient as a value anymore. It's just foundation of what we do, <laughs> of our beliefs. <laughs> Love that. Maria Medvedeva, Vice President, Saudi Arabia and Bahrain for MasterCard. Just a really wonderful conversation, Maria. Thank you so much for your time. This is wonderful. Listen, uh, Richard, thank you for giving me the opportunity, first of all, to, to showcase the evolution of um, Saudi within Vision 2030, the evolution and agility of MasterCard being a fintech and, and how MasterCard has evolved in this uh, bigger picture and also of course my personal experience in Saudi and I hope that many would benefit from this conversation. That was our really excellent we think conversation with Maria Medvedeva <laughs> from <laughs> MasterCard. Uh, thank you so much to her for sharing her time and insights and stories and experiences in Saudi Arabia. Sheikha Maria, that was terrific. Yeah, yeah. she's a she's a dynamo. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I, I'm not surprised she's doing well and and really building the business there. And it's it's a lot of fun to hear her be so enthusiastic coming over from Dubai with family and horse, uh, and just killing it with Mastercard. And she's doing so much that she just is going from like you know presentation to Zoom to the nine six six back to another presentation. Yeah. And so she's just like in you know full present mode, and it made it really fun for us as hosts. First, you oh. know, somebody who just is so comfortable. So yeah, exactly. Shall we get to Yella? We should. Yella. Saudi. So again, this is uh, the segment where we're doing a quick sort of run through of top storylines that <laughs> you can you can take or leave, but we're going to talk about the news and all the stuff going on. Some people love this portion of the show, um, even calling for it to be its own standalone thing. We don't have the bandwidth for that. I'm very sorry, but just skip forward. If this is a part that you like, you could put the timestamp on the, in the description of the podcast. So you can just quickly go there if you want to do that. So, and, and since we're, since we're clarifying, we call it yellow Saudi in a minute, but it's not really in a minute. If you're planning ahead, we Correct. can't get it done in a minute, but yes, people do like this. And the, the crowd swell for a breakaway yellow Saudi in a minute is growing. If only that those demands were made with checks attached to them, it'd be super easy. We could hire somebody out to just completely do that, if whatever, only. if only. Um, and you know what? I think there's a button, by the way, Richard, on podcast players that let you play it like, 
you know, two to five X. Oh, yeah, that's right. So just do that and we'll talk super fast. We might get it done in a minute. If not, <laughs> yeah. it'll be pretty close. Cool. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yellow number one. Uh, Saudi Arabia looks set to be the host of the 2034 World Cup after the only other country to have shown an interest in hosting, Australia, made a last minute decision not to bid. Quote, we have reached the conclusion not to do so for the 2034 competition. A statement from the Football Australia said Tuesday, just hours before FIFA's deadline for declarations of interest. It puts Saudi Arabia on track to host the global soccer tournament a decade from now a move that's likely to be seen as highly controversial. It would also make it only the second Arab country to ever host the World Cup after Qatar did so in 2022. The 2030 FIFA World Cup, meanwhile, will be hosted by Morocco, Spain, and Portugal with the three opening matches to be played in South America. That is so awesome. Congratulations to every Saudi football fan, everyone in Saudi Arabia, the Saudi leadership, this is really cool. Qatar did a great job in 2022. They will be bringing it back to the region. I believe I called this on last week's episode, Richard. It was either last week's episode or the one before where I was like, I think they're going to get it. But I didn't know it would be because the other bidders would be pulling out. It doesn't matter. The result is the same. And I think this is going to be sweet and, and really cool. It feels like this is how it was intended to unfold because you remember it was... Um the the op- bids were opened in uh, early October, and then you had to have, you know, indicate your interest by the end of October, very, very short window. We talked about Australia, you know, just having the Women's World Cup uh, with the New Zealand. We talked about Australia, you know, there was some pushback because they had bid for the 2030. They lost, you know, they spent, what, $50 million on the proposal, so on and so forth. You know, do we want to do this again? Um so it did seem to be after Saudi Arabia said, okay, we're not going to push for the 2030. Please give us some preference for the 2034. Uh, it just seemed like they've been, they were positioned well for this. But th- however it uh, evolved, however it happened, it's a big deal. It's a huge thing for Saudi Arabia. You know, if they were then now, and, uh, you know, I guess later this month we'll hear to get the 2030 World Expo, it would be astounding in terms of how they've moved from, you know, towards a global convener, really just a a destination for really, you know, global events. And, you know, can you get more global than, there's nothing more global than the World Cup, you know, Ben, you know, the Expo, World Expo is another thing. Uh, It would be amazing, but this is a big win. Saudis are so excited about this. It's all over every social media that I have, how excited everybody is. And they should be excited. And now we get into some really cool, you know what? It's great for the 966 as well, because we have now, what is it? 20, 20, so we have nine years at least of build up for this. So another nine years of the 966 coming up because we have a lot to talk about, including whether it will be held in the summer or the winter, comparing it to Qatar and their challenges that they had. For example, they had to start building stadiums from scratch. Saudi Arabia already has plans in place to build new stadiums, but it does have a few stadiums that uh, can meet the capacity requirements as set forth by FIFA. So uh, just awesome. Gianni Infantino confirmed it on Instagram. He had like his own Instagram and he made a post saying um, that the decision was made after what he described as quote constructive dialogue and extensive consultation so it's happening and that's really 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 cool uh congrats everybody 
Yeah. And, you know, the, the expected uh, criticism and controversy, I, I think it's interesting. So we're talking actually, this is 2034. So we're actually talking 11 years from now. 11 years from the 966. Good. Um, and, and, you know, there, there, people are going, well, how could, you know, you know, what about Khashoggi? What about, uh, what about Yemen? What about, you know, this is 11 years from now. I'm sorry, <laughs> things change. The world moves on. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to downplay any of these things. And Yemen's unresolved and that sort of thing. I'm just saying, you know, when when do you, when is, is there a, a, a lap state, uh, you know, that at some point it's okay for a country to be interested in, you know, hosting things? You know, I just think it's, I always think it's fascinating when people talk about it. It's like a, it's like a default reflex action. Oh yes, but oh yes, but you know, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, this is an exciting thing. It's a big deal. It's in eleven years. Uh, there'll be lots of good and bad between now and then. Um, you know, it's a country on the move, trying to you know trying to secure its future. It's really exciting for Saudi. Yeah, and you know that right now, Richard, we are. Right now, we are on the road to the World Cup. <laughs> we have an 11 year ramp up here. And so, not only are we past, present, and future, we are on the road to the World Cup. This podcast is officially on the road to the World Cup. So, we will we see have, you there. <laughs> we have to specify 2034. There's two World Cups between now, here, and there. Yeah, but those are, <laughs> this is on the road to Saudi World Cup 2024. We really, well, 2034, excuse me. Boy, it will flies. be, and then when you think about it, you know the 2026 will be here in the states. It'll be in North America, which is pretty cool. You know, there's going to be all sorts of uh, coordination and and you know uh, Saudi representatives on the ground saying how do how is this done, this sort of thing. So there's going to be coordination and collaboration there, which is good. And then the same deal with 2030. Um, yeah, it's 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 amazing. And but you know we also know that you know you know, when they get awarded a decade in advance, that's a decade of commentary and opinion. And there will be haters as you just discussed. I mean, you can set your watch to that. So, I mean, you know, that's, they, I think Saudi Arabia is definitely has a very different mindset when dealing with it as, you know, as they don't expect it, you know, so. That's actually, and that's, I think that's, that's some maturation on their part. Um, They don't care. Yep. They got they got bigger things to think about. Hundred percent. Yellow number two. Preliminary data show that Saudi Arabia recorded a real GDP contraction of four point five percent year on year in the third quarter, compared to a one point two percent expansion in Q two. This marks the first decline in GDP since Q one twenty twenty one, but was entirely driven by the oil sector, which contracted seventeen point three percent year on year as voluntary production curves by Saudi Arabia saw oil output average nine million barrels a day in Q three twenty twenty three compared with 10.9 barrels a day, 10.9 million barrels a day in the corresponding period last year, a drop of 21.1%. Yeah, here it comes. The uh, Minister of Finance just announced today uh, that there's going to be a $9.5 billion shortfall for the third quarter in uh, in terms of the government budget. Um, and you know, the, the economy is going to take a big hit this year. <laughs> Excuse me, everything's down, oil revenues down, spending's up. So as we've talked, I don't have much to add. We've talked about this on the show. This is where they're digging in. They're going, okay, we're, 
you know, yeah, okay, the budget's underwater for for this year, uh, but we've got things to we've got things to keep rolling and keep funded and keep juice. So that's you know we're not going to slow up. So this is really interesting time, fascinating time, fascinating yeah. time. And we and, talk, you know, yep. sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I just say we we had this talked about it last last week in my one big thing, but there was there's actually a few different things. Few things were different in this update here about the economy that sort of came out since then. So, you know, this story is something we're always going to be touching in on because it's you know the big overarcher. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yellow number three: Saudi Arabia's construction sector has projects worth 2.1 trillion in the pipeline for the next eight years, according to a senior executive. Speaking on the sidelines of the Future Investment Initiative in Riyadh, Jerry Todd, head of the National Development Division, National Development Division at the Public Investment Fund, told Arab News that, "quote We are currently looking at uh, SR three trillion." Reals worth of spending on building things at the PIF level and about 8 trillion reals at the country level over the next eight years, unquote. As the kingdom diversifies its economy away from oil and focuses on sectors like tourism, entertainment, technology, and renewable energy, there is a need to build the infrastructure to support these industries. Quote, we see a lot of young entrepreneurs putting business plans together. I think this is a very important growth sector in the future. It's also one that's going to contribute greatly to the social capital and cultural capital that the kingdom creates, kingdom creates and ultimately exports, unquote, said Mr. Todd. There are a few people so perfect for their roles in the entire world than Jerry Todd is to head local content there uh, because he sort of, and, and you see it in the quotes that he gives to the media and, and, just in general, he really knows that the overall goal of everything going on in Saudi Arabia is to get these uh, industries and sectors to be localized. It doesn't have to happen immediately. Those are big figures, by the way, that he threw out there. And I think that's that's why we included this. I mean, three trillion is, you know, eight hundred billion dollars. Uh, three trillion reals is eight hundred billion dollars. That's a lot of money. I mean, that's that's bigger than the, P, the PIF is right now, according to some measurements, although the exact figure isn't known. But thought, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, Jerry's such a great dude, but he has a very important job and a very difficult one, because as we discussed before, Richard, you know, the PIF needs to develop, you know, the private sector and then also make way for other private sector players. And it's, yeah, fascinating time. Um. National Development Division, head of national development for PIF. That's a critical position. And yes, yes. Jerry is a friend of ours. We like a lot. Um, and actually, we should mention this. So so Lucian and I, and we can do it elsewhere, but Lucian and I were invited to uh, be part of and to broadcast from the Evolution Fund's Global Healthspan Summit, which is a big confab at the end of November. Big deal. Quite exciting. Lucian. I really fired up about the opportunity. Um, and, uh, but in the context of the reason I say this is I reached out to Jerry. I said, you know, we're coming. Are you going to be around? He's not going to be around apparently. Um, but I also congratulated him on this Arab news article. And he said, uh, he said, he said it was good, but they, they botched it all up. They, you know, they rearranged things. They moved things around and took them out of order. The reason I say that is maybe we can post. I, put up a video, 16-minute video of uh, Jerry's interview at the FII about this topic. And it's really good. And it's organized like he'd like to organize it. And if we can we can put up the link to that 
um, and you know, included also in the podcast. It's 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 a valuable it's a valuable take, and it's a you know, fifteen minutes well well spent in terms of understanding what he's talking about here in terms of what PIF is trying to do and what PIF has in in uh, in in train for the economy. Mm-hmm. I have not seen that. I'm going to have to check that out. They just put it up. And he said that he said part of the reason they put it up is because there'd been a couple of things where he was, you know, he was quoted or is this, and they just felt like it didn't really capture or sequentially present properly uh, present sequentially, you know, what he was talking about. So they just wanted something out there that did a little better job of it. Their yeah. news article is good uh, in and of itself. And if you didn't know any better, no problem. But uh, since we do happen to know Jerry and happen to think his job is very important, this this would be it, it'd be a nice ad if we can include it. Let's do it. I mean, his you know his job. <laughs> his, there's not a sound bite so, to you know what his job is. I, it's a very complex thing, right? So it, I understand how that could be sort of messed up because you got you, it takes time to explain the, the level of the challenge that he's dealing with over there at the PIF. So yeah, really really good one. Um, congrats to Jerry. Yella number. Four, yes. Four, yeah. The Ministry of Justice announced that it has granted law practice licenses to 15 law firms. The ministry is also examining currently another 15 applications seeking license to practice the legal profession in the kingdom. The ministry said that the licenses were granted to several companies from countries such as the United States of America and the United Kingdom. This aimed at upgrading and developing the legal profession, enhancing the efficiency of its practitioners, and improving the business and investment environment in the kingdom. It is noteworthy that the ministry had granted licenses, the first of its kind, to three firms in March this year. The firms that were licensed are Herbert Smith Freehills LLP, Latham and Watkins LP, and Clifford Chance LLP. The licenses are the first to be granted to foreign law firms working in the kingdom after the Council of Ministers approved amendments to the Code of Law practice regarding licensing regulations. This is another one of those things that just sort of slip by. It's a big deal. You know, people have been sort of advocating for this for a long time. You couldn't practice law in Saudi Arabia, you know, except in partnership with a Saudi firm, Saudi lawyer. And it, uh, you know, you understand why that was done initially. But, you know, in the world today, it ends up, you, you know, you, your bandwidth for legal representation, legal support, and all that comes with a good law office is severely constricted. And, you know, you really, you really want to have the talent and the legal capability and the regulatory advice and everything that comes with it that is sufficient to build the economy like you want to. So this is great. This opens the door for a lot of uh, just a much deeper, deeper uh, well of legal expertise. And it doesn't really eliminate Saudis. I mean, if you're smart and you're doing business and you're coming into Saudi Arabia, you're going to want to have low, you're going to want to work with Saudi lawyers. That you know, is not a like great you, point. Yep. It's not like you're going to come in and go, oh, I'm just going to set up shop and just have a bunch of, you know, US trained or, or UK trained or whatever lawyers, you know, and we're going to, we're going to make a lot of money and we're going to build business and blah, blah. No, I don't think so. You're still going to have to partner. You're still going to have to work, but it's a lot more enticing, a lot more attractive to come in, and in so doing, you all of a sudden Saudi Arabia has a much, you know, can 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 you know have this kind of backstop to help grow the economy like it wants to. 
That last point was really important because I feel like part of the knock-on effect of this is the businesses that these law firms and other law firms that we'll be setting up eventually in the future can bring in with them to Saudi Arabia. If your lawyer is already doing business in Saudi Arabia, already has an office there, it really makes your expansion or investment there easier just right out of the gate. And that's a smaller selection of the total number of companies in the world. But I mean, that's a pipeline of potential people that can invest in Saudi Arabia a lot easier because these funds, I'm sorry, these firms already have a presence. And like you said, local local talent, because nowhere in the world can you just set up your law firm and expect to operate in the Netherlands and have any idea how it works. You need local lawyers. And so, yeah. Um, so, but you're right. This has been a long time coming. Um, and yeah, we had uh, Fahad Al-Maliki on the program, Richard, way back when, one of our first guests. He's a really talented lawyer, local lawyer. He's, and he's a bright, bright guy. And actually, his his Suhail partners, at the time, he was with a large law firm uh, affiliated with Eversheds. Mm-hmm. He's now got out on his own, which more and more really bright Saudis have done. And he established his own Suhail partners. Just celebrated their, their two-year anniversary, are going gangbusters because he's really good and because he's got a bunch of really good people around him. And that's a good example. You know, here's a Saudi law firm. So he went out and he, you know, he, now he can hire whoever he wants, but uh, he can also work with whoever he wants. Um, but, you know, again, the, the only thing that matters is if you're good. Mm-hmm. And obviously Fahad al-Malki is good, but uh, you know, the environment's changing for the, you know, for the better we think. And uh, that's a good pull on Fahad. We need to get him back on the show. Yes. I think he's a listener too, so come back, Fahad. Come back. Come back. <laughs> back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, number five. The United States has thanked Saudi Arabia for hosting talks between representatives of Sudan's armed forces and the Rapid Support Forces, RSF paramilitary, in a bid to facilitate peace and humanitarian relief in Sudan. This according to the Saudi press agency. Uh, the ceasefire talks reconvened with the cooperation of the United States, Saudi Arabia, and the Intergovernmental Authority on Development uh, on behalf of the African Union, uh, IGAD is the acronym, aims to re- address several critical objectives, including facilitating the delivery of humanitarian aid, establishing ceasefires, implementing confidence-building measures, and working towards achieving a permanent cessation of hostilities in Sudan. Saudi regional diplomacy at work, you know, everybody's eyes are on Gaza now and the crisis there, but the situation in Sudan is still as yet unresolved. And a few months ago, that was a a huge deal. And so, you know, glad we included this just because it, you know, escaped my radar this week. And it's it's good to know that they're, they're leading the diplomacy here. Absolutely. And and that's the only reason we included it. it was just a just a reminder of saying, you know, Saudi's trying to be a useful player in the region and um and in every turn seems to be trying to de escalate uh conflict if if it can help. And it's always nice. We're you know, we're homers, we're Americans. It's always nice when they're working in, in uh, coordination with the US. So that's 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 the whole reason this was put in. Mm-hmm. Yella number six. Speaking at the Health Forum in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia's Health Minister Fahad Al Jalajal revealed. Did I say that right, Jalajal? <laughs> I like it. 
I love it. It's just in the same. Sorry. <laughs> We're going to keep it in as that. But if I, I said that it. wrong, I think just you text it. me. You use a WhatsApp Saudis and text me and use a voice recording function as y'all love to do. And let me know how I should say it. <laughs> I'm going to go back now. Revealed the kingdom's plans to introduce a state funded insurance program by 2026 that will provide comprehensive coverage for all citizens by 2026. The national insurance program will be state funded and won't require annual renewal, ensuring coverage for a lifetime. Al Jalajal projected a significant increase in private health insurance in the coming years. He attributed this growth to factors such as population expansion, holders of premium residency, and a rising number of tourists visiting Saudi Arabia. He expects expects that the private sector's role in providing health services will increase from 20% to 50%. Um, again, included sort of as a process ongoing that will impact people's lives. I mean, this is a big, this is a big deal. Um, you know, essentially public health insurance, sort of the holy grail of a lot of, a lot of people in the U S um, coming to Saudi Arabia. And you can see it's a plan. I guess last summer they established the uh, insurance authority, uh, which I guess falls under the financial sector development program. Uh, but really also falls into, you know, quality of life and that sort of thing. So uh, that's pretty amazing. You know, if they're moving to get everybody covered with government policy. Um, uh, and that's also pretty amazing when you, you know, it doesn't require an annual renewal and ensuring coverage for a lifetime. If they can accomplish that, you know, that's quite a benefit to be a, you know, a Saudi citizen. I get this question a lot. I sh I'm sure you do on how the insurance sector works in Saudi Arabia. And I don't really have a very, you know, there's no quick answer to it. But all I would say is at least it is not like the system in the United States of America, which is just completely crazy. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is interesting. It's a, it, a, a sector that will take forever and will be very expensive. I think health is, I actually don't have it in front of me, but a large portion of the, the Saudi government budget goes to yes. these programs. So it's yes. a lot of money. Absolutely. It's funny how, how so much of the funding has moved over to quality of life issues, health, entertainment. Um, uh, you know, so it is interesting. Yeah, this is pretty amazing. I just wrote down insurance. That might be, it might be, if we can, we can find the right person. That might be an educational episode. Super educational. I, I just know that they have the National Guard system. And so if you're related to anybody that was in the military, you go under that. And then otherwise, there's a state situation with then private for, you know, extra care. And there's it's, it's a thing. We need to get educated on this because I'd like to not just be talking out of my behind on this right now. But uh, it's it is. Uh, I mean, there is good healthcare in Saudi Arabia. And so, yeah, it'd be yeah, really yeah. good to know, learn about this. Um, uh, yeah, so that's that's something to, something, something, yet another thing we can edify ourselves on and we should edify ourselves on. And that's one of the great gifts of the 966 is Lucian and Richard get a little more edified every time. This is a journey of edification for the 966 boys. And you are just here in the present or future or past whichever you may find yourself in or on the road to World Cup 2034, like we all are now in Saudi Arabia. So let us, uh, unfortunately, Richard, we have to conclude on that. We're out of Yellas. 
And that is it for yeah, episode yeah, 110. That's it. <laughs> I, I'm confident. I'm confident journey of edification is not going to be the tagline for anything. <laughs> but, but it can be what it be a tagline for us because it's it's you know appropriately clunky and, and odd. So many ask that's all and, us. Yep. Many ask, and the reason why we're doing this is actually just because we do this anyway, and we are super <laughs> interested in staying. Uh, you know, we have our, our daily newsletter, number one in the space, and it's really just an invaluable resource. So you can subscribe to that at sustg.com. It's free. It's just a daily newsletter on Saudi Arabia, and it just absolutely sifts through everything you need to know about Saudi Arabia. And so we'd be doing this anyway. We just are now recording it. And we have been doing that for 110, soon to be 111 episodes. Yes. See you well next done, week. Lucian. You too. <laughs>